the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Rabbi Jonathan Burness is with us tonight. A look at his new book, A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. All right, then, Rabbi Burness, we pick up the story. Uh, You went back and picked up a copy of that New Testament that you had been given by your wrestling coach, began leafing through it, and and as you did so, were there parallels? I mean, at, at what point did it begin to emerge this sense that, wait a minute, this Jesus of Nazareth, by gosh, he's actually Jewish. Well, Craig, it it was a complete shock for me. I just want to say this, first of all, that uh, as an encouragement to those that are listening, this wrestling coach had given me this Bible four or five years earlier, and it wasn't until uh, the, this point in my life where the Lord finally uh, used that seed. And I will just want to encourage people that are listening that the Word of God never returns void, and don't give up on that loved one that you're sharing with. Uh, it answered to your question, Craig, it, it I saw this on uh, page one. The very first few verses of the New Testament were a complete shock to me. And, and many people listening maybe uh, read the uh, the lineages and just kind of, or, or, or jump over them or wonder why are they there. But for me as a Jew, to read uh, the, the, this lineage in Matthew, in the very beginning, Jesus, uh, the son of Abraham, uh, the son of David, was absolutely shocking to me. Because here I had been brought up uh, believing that the New Testament was the book of the Christians and had nothing whatsoever to do with Judaism. And on page one, in chapter one, in the very first verses, I see Abraham and David. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, David, the greatest king in our history. And I had no idea how to process this. I couldn't understand what these Jews, these prominent Jewish patriarchs, were doing in the book of the Christians. And then went on to discover that this Jesus, this this Jesus Christ, the God of Christianity, was in fact Yeshua, which means salvation, that was his given Hebrew name, that he was born in Israel, not Rome, that he uh, was born of Jewish parents who were good Jews and made sacrifice in the temple, that all of his first followers were Jews, and his ministry was to his own people. I am but sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and went on to discover that these followers of Jesus did not convert to Christianity, but they were Jews who lived as Jews, who died as Jews, who had simply understood that Jesus was Yeshua, the promised Messiah of Israel. And that was just so eye-opening. It was life-transforming for me, Craig. But if you think that that was shocking, it was even a greater shock for me to go back to my own scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, uh, the writings, uh, and discover uh, these scriptures. Uh, uh, by the way, there's another misconception that Christians have, that the Jewish people have, have read the scriptures and know them better than most Christians. It's absolutely untrue. I had never read my own Bible. And as I went through the Torah and the prophets, I discovered prophecy after prophecy uh, that spoke of this Messiah, and I clearly saw Jesus, Yeshua, and so many of these prophecies 
written hundreds of years before he was ever born. It completely changed my life. I wonder how many Christians under the false impression that they're ill-equipped to share their faith or minister to uh, a person of a Jewish background under that misconception, as you suggest, Rabbi, that, that well, most Christians you know, uh, clearly don't know Scripture nearly as well as the average Jewish person, which just must be steeped in memorization from top to bottom. It's totally untrue, and one of the reasons I wrote the book, because most Jewish people, which, and this was the case, my case, uh, what I had never read my own Scriptures, and about 90% of the Jewish community here in America are in that same boat. They, they have no idea what the Scriptures that they base their, their heritage on say. And that's why uh, I encourage believers, true Bible believers, to understand what the, uh, what's in the Old Testament uh, and to use the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Because there's so many prophecies, hundreds in fact, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born that tell us where the Messiah would be born, when he would be born. Daniel 9 tells us he had to come before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, that he would be born in Bethlehem, tells us what he would accomplish, why he would die, that he would die for our sins, that we would esteem him, uh, uh, that we would not esteem him, but that he would be stricken by God, and we would misunderstand that, in fact, he was uh, wounded for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed, as it says in Isaiah 53. The promise of the new covenant being made with the Jewish people where God would forgive their sins and remember them no more, Jeremiah 31. And it was, it was only then that I discovered, uh, after I had prayed at this Bible study, that I discovered these prophecies written hundreds of years before Yeshua, Jesus, was ever born. And as I said, it transformed my life. As it did so... What goes on in, in your heart and mind, and as you shared earlier, Rabbi, I mean, you, you, had, you had been through much of the study as a child, albeit not from a necessarily orthodox Jewish home. You were nevertheless practicing, very involved, very aware of your faith. Now, all of a sudden, you're reading through your own scriptures. This is not a broadside handed to you by Jews for Jesus. God bless them for what they do. You're reading your own scriptures and suddenly seeing some parallels between this man who claims to be Messiah and what and, and, and what you see inside of your own scripture. What's going on in your mind? Is there a sense of my, my own faith is crumbling or my own faith is becoming complete, that there's a, maybe a missing part of the, the equation, the puzzle, the picture, that now all of a sudden is coming into focus? Well, the latter. I, 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 under, I began to understand uh, during this time that I hadn't converted to another religion, uh, and left my Judaism, but in fact, uh, I was embracing uh, the true meaning and significance of what I was chosen for, to know God, to love Him, to have a relationship with Him. And I, I guess one of the other thoughts, Craig, was, why wasn't I told this earlier? Mm. Why was I lied to? Why was I told that the New Testament had nothing to do with our people? Uh, why did Christians apologize to me when I said I was Jewish uh, instead of telling me this is your Messiah, this is the most Jewish thing you can do? Those were some of the thoughts that went through my mind then, and I've spent the last 30 years uh, seeking to reach my own people with the Gospel because the reality is that Jewish people have not rejected the Gospel. They simply haven't heard a Gospel that they can understand, and that's why also another reason I wrote the book. Mm. I think that's a very significant point you make here, too, and that is that oftentimes the presentation uh, 
has been, you know, albeit some occasions with malice, other times simply out of ignorance, not really presented in a, a clear, logical fashion. Am I right? I, th- I think it's just a, a lack of understanding. Uh, yes, I agree with you. I think it's a lack of understanding that Christians have about uh, Jewish people and the way we're taught, uh, and we need to overcome. I say it this way, just as missionaries have to travel overseas, uh, in, in sharing with Jewish people, you have to travel over a sea of misunderstanding. Yeah, you, you were just going to, your, your line of thinking is right where I was going to go. That sense that we, we've seen a rethinking of the old uh, Western model of of missions work, where you go into a nation, you, you plant a church, you invite people to come, uh, and you take the approach and you kind of you kind of model it after what is familiar from the westernized viewpoint of Christianity, which oftentimes make no sense in any given country. Why should we change someone's culture? It's not about changing their culture. God loves culture. He loves diversity. It's about changing a person's heart from within, and, and they're going in one direction, and they, they're to do a U-turn, and, and uh, they're traveling away from God. God, and we're to turn them the, in the other direction and face God and walk towards Him. And it isn't to say that the message changes. It is the same Messiah, the same message for all mankind for all time. It is, as Paul, I guess, said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm all things to all men that I might win some. That that notion of being able to share one's faith in another man's language. It is. It's about language. When a Jewish person hears Jesus Christ, they don't hear Savior. They hear God of uh, of the Gentiles. When a Jew hears the word convert, uh, it's very threatening because for them it means to leave behind the heritage that they that was Im- in deeply embedded into them as a child uh, and, and the, the, the commitment to preservation. Is, but but uh, the word convert really means to, to, to do an about face. And so I, I make it clear that Jewish people don't have to leave their Judaism to find the Messiah that was promised through our own prophets. And, you know, that's so true. I mean, we understand the totality of the promises that are there in Scripture. I mean, I, I would suspect even as, as you were being raised and you were studying the Torah and so forth, were there not references to Messiah, though, in the context of, of has yet to come? Well, uh, yes and no. They, they were there. They were often, often overlooked. In reality, there's no one view in Judaism about the Messiah. Many Jews have uh, completely uh, given up on the concept of a, of a literal Messiah and replaced that with a desire for a utopian age, uh, a messianic age, uh, that we bring about by our good deeds. Uh, sadly, we've strayed very far from Scripture and as a people, I think the Jewish people need to return to God. Yeah, and you see a lot of that uh, portrayed in, in, in so-called secularized Judaism, do you not? You, you do indeed. There's a, really a replacement of relationship with God and worship of God for the things that we can do, such as social justice, to bring about this utopian age. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that runs so contrary into the understanding of grace uh, and, and, and works. And I, and I guess that, that that's an interesting insight, too, to help our listeners understand. You know, therefore, no wonder sometimes it is challenging in sharing the story of Messiah to a Jewish person who, under the circumstances that you're suggesting, uh, have, have dedicated a life to the belief that it's based on works. And now all of a sudden we come and say, oh, by the way, it is not based on works, at least any man should boast, but strictly on what God has already done on our behalf, and, and I suppose that all of a sudden now you 
you've got some short circuits going on in the brain that then runs contrary to what they've always understood or embraced. Indeed, and let me add to that, even the concept of blood sacrifice, of, a, of sacrifice needed to atone for sin, is something that has been lost uh, almost entirely to Judaism. And so why talk about a sin-bearer, a messiah, if you don't even recognize your sin? So if we as as Christians read the Old Testament and we see the stories of the sacrifices and what went on in the Holy of Holies and so on and so forth, much of that, even within the most orthodox of Judaism, is not taking place anymore. Am I correct? Well, I think that, that that's, you're absolutely correct, and I think that there's been a redefining of Judaism, a, a reinvention of Judaism after the destruction of the Temple. So we've largely lost the, that connection back to the, the, the core understanding that God demands the shedding of innocent blood for the remission of sin. Indeed, I say it this way, there's a difference between Biblical Judaism of Torah and rabbinic Judaism that, that Judaism of today is based on. So as a young, eager Christian, you go to a Jewish friend and say, but don't you understand, Jesus died, he was sacrificed. He is the, he is the lamb without blemish who was sacrificed on your behalf. And they go, what? Huh? They do indeed, which is why I advocate things like Messianic Passover seders, uh, where you can help a Jewish person uh, or invite a Jewish person to an event that connects them with their history. The matzah, the 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 the, the four cups of wine, the uh, all of the different elements of the Passover uh, seder, uh, and you can they all point prophetically to the atoning work of Jesus at Calvary. A look at a rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth. Back to more of the conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation continues with Rabbi Jonathan Bernus. Rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth. From your unique perspective, Rabbi Bernus, what would you say are some of the key things that we can be doing uh, as Christians in, in more effectively sharing the story of Messiah? I, I think largely, I mean, knowing of an audience, for example, like we have here in San Francisco, it isn't for a lack of love or compassion. I think, as you suggest, oftentimes it's just simply a, a lack of understanding. What would you say are some of the key things that Christians can do to become more effective at sharing the story of Messiah with our Jewish friends? Well, Craig, thank you. That's a great question. I think there's a number of things uh, I'd like to touch on. First of all, is to break down those misconceptions. Understand that the Jewish person in your life that God has put into your life is not there by accident, that he's put them there for you to, to, to uh, provoke to jealousy, as it says in Romans 11, uh, 11 uh, to understand that, the, the, that they don't know the scriptures better than you do, that they haven't rejected the gospel than they need to hear. Uh, so breaking down those barriers. Uh, second, I think it's it's a it's of great value for Christians to understand the Jewish mindset. You can do this very simply. I go into enough detail in my book to to really help uh, Christians to understand what Jewish people hear. What 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 you mean to say to them is not what they're hearing. The third thing. Uh, so there's some semantical things uh, that I talk about: words to avoid and uh, uh, language that I think. Uh, provides uh, more clarity. And, and the approach is different, as you were suggesting, between someone who is strictly of, say, a, a secular Jewish background versus somebody who um, has a religious background, such as yourself, to then tertiary, I suppose, someone who grew up in an Orthodox home? I think there's some differences, but in, in effect, you have to understand that felt needs are the same whether one's Jewish or not Jewish. Uh, 
the need for a sense of purpose and identity uh, of what ha- the answering the questions in life that all of us need to face why are we here and what happens to us after we die uh, when people go through a crisis they, they they're looking for answers and I think that supersedes to a large extent uh, anyone's background um, but yes indeed sometimes uh, someone who's more orthodox uh, may be easier to share with if they're open because they adhere to to the authority of the scriptures which which leads me to my next point I think that to learn some of the messianic prophecies and how to present them to a Jewish person and understand that the, the, that the uh, disciples when they expounded on the scriptures and proved that Jesus was the Messiah did not use the New Testament they wrote the New Testament they were using the Torah they were using the prophets they were using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and so I think it it uh, is very helpful to learn some of the, the key messianic prophecies and how to present them to learn how Jesus uh, Yeshua is at the center of some of the different uh, feasts of the Lord, the celebrations such as Passover and and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I think is very very helpful. And then most importantly, to 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 understand that only God can open up a person's heart. Uh, we have to open our mouth and share, but God can op- opens their heart. And so to pray and to get other people praying for that Jewish person that God has put into your life. I, I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is, Craig. And I would suspect, too, as I found, at least this is true from my experience, that doing the research to understand the connection, for example, between a lot of the feasts and the parallels that we see, parallels that we see not only gives you tools to more effectively share Messiah with, with your Jewish friends, but for me also, it's like taking a trip to Israel. You know, it, it, it turns on a light. It, it opens up a deeper understanding and awareness of things that we see that I think helps a Christian better understand his own faith as well. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. It's so it's so enriching to go to Israel to learn some of these um, uh, types and foreshadows. It, I find with most Christians, uh, every everyone that has that has uh, that has studied th- these um, typologies, gone to Israel with me, and so on, uh, has found. Uh, it, it's deeply enriching, and that the relationship with the Lord has, has grown much closer. Now, I don't want to make this a commercial, but I want to spend a moment. Tell us more about your book and how you see potentially your book as being a tool uh, that can be used certainly by believers looking to reach their Jewish friends. And I wonder, too, then, the parallel, can this be a tool to, to effectively put into the hands of a Jewish friend? Well, absolutely. I wrote the book for two, two, two audiences. First of all, the Christian audience that has a Jewish uh, friend or co-worker or neighbor and, and also wants to learn uh, how um, the, the whole gospel message, not the gospel message as much as Christian theology has changed over the centuries uh, from what the scriptures actually teach, the whole idea of replacement theology and so on. I wanted to break down those barriers that keep Christians from sharing their faith, not just with Jewish people, but with people in general. So I talk quite a bit about evidential apologetics, proofs uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. In we have, fact, to have to be careful to avoid subjects like, you know, uh, being a strong promoter of British Israelism, things of that sort, exactly. too. Exactly. <laughs> and my premise is this. I say this at the, right in the beginning of the book, that it takes more faith when you look at all the evidence to reject Jesus as Messiah than to accept him. I can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is Messiah, uh, but, but when you look at the evidence, it's very, very strong. So I wrote it for Christians and helping 
them to better understand how to effectively share the gospel with that Jewish person in their life. But I also wrote it as a tool to give to an open-minded Jewish person uh, that, like me, was searching for 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 for, uh, for the reason for life, that was searching for uh, truth. And there's many Jewish people out there that are open to to um, investigating the claims of, of Jesus. And and I I wrote this for them as well. So it's for open-minded Jewish people and, and for for Christians that want to learn more about um, the Jewish person in their life. A word, if you would, Rabbi, about your ministry. Well, Jewish Voice Ministries International uh, was founded in 1967, right before uh, the reestablishment of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War. And we're a ministry that is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel to the Jew first, uh, anywhere in the world where the Jewish people are, are, where there's Jewish communities that are open to the gospel. And then secondly, to help educate uh, and mobilize Christians to be that light Jewish people that God has called them to be. We undertake very large humanitarian projects to the Jewish communities in Ethiopia and India. There's large Jewish communities there that are impoverished. We do um, uh, festival uh, outreaches of music and dance where we share our faith. Uh, we're really a ministry. We, we believe we're a last days ministry that's helping to proclaim the gospel to Jewish people in a way that they can understand. And I like what you mentioned um, earlier on in our conversation, that not only in terms of, of opening the eyes of, of Christians, but also an opportunity to effectively share uh, with Jewish people the notion of getting involved, getting information about um, a, a Passover Seder, and, and learning all the connections and ties in there. Well, what, a, what a wonderful opportunity it is. It is indeed, and we, we actually have a church speaking department that has speakers that go to churches around the country and share things like a Messianic Passover Seder. It's an incredible experience if you've never seen one or been part of one. If folks want to get more information on that, Rabbi, they can contact you or get more details at jewishvoice.org? It's that simple, jewishvoice, one word, dot org. Excellent. And the book as well, certainly through all the usual suspects, amazon.com, etc., etc., but also through your website? Indeed, and chosen website. Uh, really hope that people will uh, find it uh, of value. A great tool. We appreciate the time and the education today. Craig, thank you so much for having me today, and uh, I really appreciate your ministry. Keep up the great We'll work. look forward to doing it again. There is Rabbi Jonathan Burnus. Again, his new book entitled A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. And again, this new book uh, published by Chosen, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and details as too on the web, jewishvoice.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is perhaps just a generation or so ago that we argued in apologetics debates particularly that God said, hath God said. Well, today the debate is simply that God, meaning does he even exist? Nietzsche asserted a century ago that God was dead, suggesting at least at the minimum that at one time God did exist. But today we debate his very existence ever. A new book helps you address a lot of these questions, perhaps questions you yourself have struggled with, certainly questions that maybe you struggle with in answering for uh, friends as you share your faith. The book is called simply, Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible. 
Its author is uh, lead pastor from Life Fellowship Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and the founder and host of the video ministry, The One Minute Apologist, Pastor Bobby Conway. Pastor Conway, great to have you on the program. Hey, it's good to be with you, buddy. Well, I guess these days, particularly with what we see going on in the world around us, whether we talk about politics or the spate of violence in particular, and a lot of it taking place in God's name or in Allah's name, and a lot of people get confused between the two, a lot of Christians really struggle to try to come up with these answers that will help satisfy uh, friends as they or co-workers as they share their faith. And in looking at your new book, I mean, it certainly isn't a 500-page tome, uh, you could almost practice memorize the entire book and toward that degree I just wonder if that was your intent well what I did want to do is help uh, my readers to gain some confidence around curious questions that they may have or people whom they're engaging conversations with might have and so what I did basically is I've got almost a thousand videos on our one minute apologist YouTube uh, ministry site where I interview world-leading philosophers and apologists, and then I do a lot of the questions myself. And I just thought to take, you know, 50 or so of those type of questions that I do in video format and then put them in written format. So I wrote that book to give people a tool of some of the questions that people are asking today. And what I like about the book, Pastor, is it is literally a book that you could memorize. I mean, you you could almost spend a few minutes with this every day and commit a lot of the answers uh, to memory. There, there's some give and take in here, questions to consider, uh, memory verses that, uh, that tie into uh, each of the questions, along with uh, information concerning the links to the accompanied YouTube videos that you've produced that I think really can help equip Christians for, as, as Paul told us, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Yes, and I also think that people want information, especially in this age, that is digestible, and I think that there is a place for uh, the tome, and I'm all about that. I read those myself. I think that it's good, though, for people to have a tool, and being a pastor, I have to be a pragmatician, uh, and I think that this is something that can serve as a tool whereby people can get together in small groups or in coffee shops, uh, or they can just have it as a resource manual to look up questions either about theology or worldview or sexual issues or some of the different things that we're facing right before us right now. Uh, one of the things that I like about your approach to this, so when I first picked up the book, I thought, well, we're going to expect to find some basic questions in there, sort of the questions of time and memoriam, does God exist, what about the virgin birth, uh, uh, is Jesus equal to, to God, things of this sort that are kind of basic Christian theology. But you have not shied away from dealing with any of the contemporary questions, so to speak, of our day either. For example, I, I first read it and thought, did I read that right? Will there be sex in heaven uh you you don't shy away shy away from any of these topics do you well i mean the reality is is people have these questions and i think in the church we need to say hey look if we're sincerely striving to learn it's okay to ask questions uh and will there be sex in question i mean that's not uh out of reason to ask that kind of question uh, will i still be married in question uh, in heaven i mean these are questions that that people thought about. In fact, that Jesus was uh, posed such a question. And we learned that, you know what, we're going to be, uh, you know, like the angels in heaven, neither given in marriage. So there's going to be a marriage on earth till death do us part. So there's not going to be sex 
in heaven, but I think that that's not anything for us to dread. It's hard to imagine, as adults, a world where there cannot be intimacy uh, between a person that we love, but we can know in heaven that the purpose of sex here on earth is for mutual pleasure and procreation, and our ultimate pleasure will be found in God, and there will be no procreative reasons for us to have sex in heaven. What's good, too, I think, about your approach to the book, Pastor, is that in addition to helping tackle questions that uh, we could run into day by day as we share our faith with others, there are also some very timely topics that, quite frankly, a lot of Christians struggle with themselves. They don't quite understand the answers, and we live in a society that not only promotes the sense of, of certainly, uh, uh, theological pluralism, but also from the standpoint of wanting to be, quote-unquote, tolerant, uh, and yet we say, gee, how, how do I come about giving an articulate response to some of the more controversial topics. I mean, take, for example, the matter of marijuana use. Now, here in California, we're going to head to the ballot in November, not only decide who the next president will be, U.S. Senator from California, but also decide whether or not we should follow in the footsteps of Colorado and legalize recreational use of marijuana. This is one of the topics that you've chosen to deal with. I discern between medical marijuana and uh, recreational use of marijuana. I grew up in California myself, and I've been clean since October 9th, 1994. I got clean at my first semester at Chico State, of all places. And uh, I don't know if it's still the party school it was back in the in the 90s. But it has a reputation. There. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought quite the place to go and get sober. I went to an AA meeting October 9th, 1994. And I've been clean ever since. And so I've smoked a lot of dope myself in California, so I'm not throwing uh, stones at those who uh, who do. But I will say that I know back then a good hit of some green butt could get a high going. And with the THC levels where they are today, I just don't see how we can uh, maintain uh you know, temple care. The Bible talks about, you know, we're to honor our bodies, we're to take care of our temple, it kills brain cells. I think from a standpoint of medical use, I can see a real avenue for that. Suppose we were to wake up and read in a newspaper and we'd never heard about marijuana before, with, and we didn't have the negative connotations, and we saw scientists have found a leaf that can help those with cancer patients who are cancer patients to digest their food, to help them to gain weight, and to assuage them in the midst of their pain. I don't think we'd think anything of it because people use uh, many medications that are far worse right now than marijuana. So I can say I could see it being okay there, but just recreationally, I think that it's hard to make that case. If you've just joined our conversation, visiting tonight with the lead pastor from Life Fellowship Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, they offer them a new book called Does God Exist? This and 51 other compelling questions about God and the Bible. It is uh, bite-sized, which is what I like about this. Um, a lot of people get put off. Questions arise. They don't know how to answer them. And they're too intimidated to uh, go out and buy a 500-page uh, tome on the topic. And so, as a result, they just sort of maintain their sense of ignorance. Uh, but it's hard to be effective when it comes to witnessing today and not be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, as Paul said. Not be uh, prepared to engage in, in thoughtful, reasoned give and take, and to be able to take a stand. And most importantly, not only be educated and equipped ourselves, but then share that knowledge with others as we share our faith. And that's a long way toward what this book uh, is, is focused on doing. Newly published by Harvest House, by the way. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation, deal with a few other hot topics of the day as our visit with Pastor Bobby Conway, author of Does God Exist? continues here on Lifeline. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Helping you answer the big questions of the day, uh, perhaps for yourself, certainly for others, as you share your faith, having a sense of uh, a solid discipleship where we are learned a bit, uh, we are trained, so to speak, within the basics of apologetics is, is kind of, uh, unfortunately, passing away, meaning that fewer and fewer churches um, underscore the importance of this, and yet I think really to be an effective witness in sharing our faith and also have a good sense of grounding in our own relationship with Christ, it's important that we have some of these fundamental answers, a fundamental understanding of our faith. And uh, the new book, Does God Exist? and 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible goes a long way toward, in a very uh, direct fashion, answer many of those questions. Its author is our guest today, Bobby Conway. He is also the lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's also authored other books and uh, is the founder and host, by the way, of the rapidly growing video ministry, The One Minute Apologist, which is, I guess, Bobby, if you just do a, um, a search in YouTube, all of the link will come up. Absolutely. Yeah. Just type in One Minute Apologist. We have a channel in YouTube or they can go to the one minuteapologist.com and they can learn more about the videos there. And this is really, I mean, I, I think of not just uh, new believers, but uh, good refresher course for some of us that have been in faith for a lot of years, as well as an opportunity to get studied with a biblical perspective on some of the so-called hot topics of the day, which I know a lot of believers struggle with. I mean, for example, this issue of uh, transvestitism or a sex change uh, has been a lot in the news lately, particularly with uh, uh, Bruce Jenner capturing a lot of headlines. And I know that when the topic comes up, other than uh, sharing a sense of uh, the disbelief or uh, uh, frustration with the topic, the many, many Christians, I think, are just frustrated. They don't know how to answer. They don't know how to respond when this debate or this topic is approached. It's too bad that uh, the church has a reputation uh, for being bombastic at times. By and large, uh, the Christians that I come in contact are wonderful people, uh, humble people, but a lot of times they're not ready to engage in conversation. Uh, with people. Those who would say apologetics uh, isn't important uh, obviously uh, haven't been out sharing uh, with non-believers or engaging them with questions about their faith because those questions will come up. And in in particular, this one on sex change, uh, this is a huge issue in our culture right now. And I do think that we should be looking for ways to exhibit compassion. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to feel trapped uh, with another gender inside of my body. Uh, at the same token, I think we can show a compassion. You know, I can't, uh, you know, imagine what that would be like. I'm not trying to throw stones at you here. I'm just trying to be faithful to the way that I believe that God created us. And I believe that uh, the chromosomal structure cannot be changed through a sex change. Uh, our chromosomal structure reveals whether we're male or female. Now, there is an intersex condition that some would have where maybe they might have some, you know, partial male and partial female body parts. And I can understand the situation like that where they might seek counsel and get some wisdom on how to be unified so they don't, so that individual doesn't feel like they're half male, half female. That makes sense. But I do think biblically we should realize that uh, sex is not something that we can just uh, play with. It's des- we're designed by God with a certain gender. 
the other thing that I think believers should uh, appreciate from a book like this is not only equipping them in terms of a, uh, a better, more articul- articulate, uh, apologetic approach to many of the hot topics of the day from a biblical perspective, but also some of the topics that kind of swirl within the church that oftentimes uh, we need to gain a deeper, more foundational understanding on. Uh, it is probably unlikely for the most part that the average non-believer is going to want to engage you in questions about the Trinity, but we know that uh, modalism or uh, Trinitarianism within the church, there are corners where this is hotly contested and debated, and from time to time, I think at least from a good biblical foundation, from a discipleship standpoint, it's important that believers understand what the Bible actually has to say on topics that are very relevant to the Christian's faith, particularly in issues such as the Trinity. Sure, that's a good point, Craig, where we see that God is one in essence and three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that there's a lot of confusion today, and I think that in my last book I wrote called Doubting Toward Faith, I wrestled with some of my own doubts and wrote about some of my own struggle with it and shared how, you know, we're living in a melting pot culture of belief. We're like a nation without a mission statement. We're not what we once were. We're not sure what we're becoming, but in between, in this tweener space, it's great. And there's lots of questions, and we're experiencing what Jennifer Heck talked about, this idea of cosmopolitan doubt, where my belief's bumping up against somebody else's belief, and we're wondering, how can I know what I believe is really true? And I think that we need to help people to deal with these questions and with their doubts, and a lot of people are intimidated to share their doubts because they're going to feel like they're an immature believer if they do, and I want to say as a pastor and as an apologist that in the absence of certainty, there's always going to be room for doubt. The question is, which worldview closes the doubt gap the best? And me, as a Christian pastor, I can struggle with doubts, but I believe when I look at the case for the resurrection of Jesus, and when I think about our worldview compared to other worldview options, I believe Christianity is uh, the greatest worldview standing and offers the greatest amount of evidence for us. Um, Do we also have to uh, concede that there are some topics for which there's just not real clear direction within Scripture that sort of uh, now we see through a glass darkly uh, approach that, you know, there are certain mysteries, so to speak, that we do not fully comprehend and give believers a sense of relief that that's okay? I think so. I think it makes us, uh, look, if somebody gets discipled, they're a brand new Christian, and then they go, okay, I've been discipled, I've had my five hours of training, uh, they're often ultra-dogmatic. They go out and they feel like they've, they've read their Left Behind series and they know how God's going to wrap the world up. And <laughs> look, the reality is, is if we're going to go in and out of some of these doctrinal positions on age of the earth or the timing of Jesus' return or which translation to use or whether or not one's a Calvinist or Arminian. And I think we need to give people some real freedom to think because sometimes we can give people such a tight doctrinal list that then if they're just thinking because they read another book, not trying to disobey God, just wrestling with the argument, they can feel like they're doing something wrong. And the reality is, is they're just thinking. And I think that's when we get back to, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, love our neighbors ourselves. As Christians, our faith is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're keeping our faith there. And then we live it with a lot of flexibility, and we give each other a lot of grace, because we're splintering the church to death in the name of our pet particularities. And I think we need to loosen up a little bit. And I think that's a key point that you make, because there's also this perspective that says, listen, um, there are some 
doctrines, so to speak, that are going to constantly be open for debate. I mean, you know, upon baptism, should we sprinkle or should we dunk? I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's evidence to show, certainly from Christ's experience with it, that uh, the dunking is the way to go. That said, it certainly doesn't classify as a damnable doctrine, meaning that if you don't embrace it or believe it certain ways, uh, that, that you're going to be outside the confines of, 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 of so-called normative or, or um, a historical Christianity. But there's also this notion that we can sometimes get so caught up in the minutia of some of these completely unwinnable debates that we we end up seeing our relationship with the very Christ himself suffer, don't we? I just would love to see the church at large really grasp what you're saying right there, because if we could just get the beauty and the joy of learning, yes, there's a corpus of theology that we're to believe, but the reality is, is we've got over 40,000 denominations, uh, you know, uh, you can pit many of these great theologians that are our heroes, and they contradict each other on some of these viewpoints as well. That doesn't mean that undercuts our belief ultimately in the authority of Scripture. What it means is people are finite. And yes, there's one interpretation from God's perspective, but as humans, I believe myself included, none of us walk around as perfect interpreters of Scripture. So that should create some humility in us that, you know what? We're going to do our best to show ourselves as workmen who are approved of studying the Word of God, but we're going to be humble with the way that we handle that with others as well. And in doing so, of course, being prepared to give an answer, to not only deepen your own relationship with Christ and understanding of your own faith, but then to be more effective communicator at discipling believers that you've won to Christ, and certainly hope that's part of uh, your your life experience, and then, too, to be prepared to share your faith with others. This book goes a long way in a very easy easy fashion. It answers the question, does God exist? That and 51 other compelling questions about God, the Bible, and quite frankly, life in general, wrestling with a lot of the questions, contemporary ones that we struggle with to this very day. Bobby Conway is the author of the new book, lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church, located just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. Great job on the book, newly published, by the way, by our friends at Harvest House and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through some of the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also get it through Pastor Conway's website, Bobby Conway. Spell it just the way it sounds, BobbyConwayOnline.com. That's BobbyConwayOnline.com. And, you know, if you're looking for some quick, easy to nibble on and digest uh, and memorize content, not only the book, but also uh, we mentioned about his YouTube channel uh, that provides, what did you say, Bobby, over a thousand videos? Well, we're working close to a thousand. We've got about nine hundred right now, so almost a thousand different videos. And these are all called the one minute apologist that deals with just short bite-sized chunks of information on a whole variety of topics that, that very much mimic uh, what the book does. So you can check that out on YouTube by simply uh, doing a, a Google search. Go to YouTube and look for the One Minute Apologist. Again, the book Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible, newly published by Harvest House. Our thanks to Pastor Bobby Conway for being with us tonight here on this edition of Lifeline. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.